Philippians chapter 2. We will read verses 14 through 18 this morning. We, of course, have already looked into verses 14 and 15 on last week. We will continue through the study of this portion of the text. So we begin again this morning in reading uh, from verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Father, we are grateful this morning for the word of God that you have given us and this epistle to the church at Philippi. We pray, Father, that as we will read and study through this portion of this epistle this morning, that your spirit would give us discernment and understanding. And Father, that as you have equipped us with your spirit and dwelling within us, that we would live according to the direction and leading and guiding of your spirit as we are instructed in the word of God. And Father, may it be that this body of Christ will bring glory and honor unto your name, that we will embrace the truth of the Word of God seriously, sincerely, and that we would live in that truth each and every day that you have granted us life. May you be glorified and honored thereby. May Christ be exalted as we would be as the lights in the world as you have commanded and explained that we are because of Christ who is the light who lives within us. So Father, may we not be hindering the shining forth of the gospel, the light of the glory of God as has been manifested and demonstrated in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we remove ourselves out of the way. And may we be bold as stewards of the gospel. May we shine forth as the light as you have called us to. May we do so unashamedly. May we do so confidently. May we do so with understanding. and discernment of the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask this unto your glory and unto your honor. Now may you teach us from your word. May your spirit use the truth of the word of God. May you plant within every heart these truths that we may walk thereby unto your glory and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Over the past several weeks of our study in Philippians chapter 2. We've examined Paul's exhortation to work out salvation, followed by Paul's explanation of how this salvation is manifested within the life of those in whom this salvation is worked out. And we began this portion of our study. I want to do again some review bringing us up to these verses, of course, which we will study this morning. We began this portion with the expectation of this salvation, as Paul declares in verse 12, the beginning of the verse, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul, of course, explains here that this, expect, this salvation which God has worked in us, that there's an expectation concerning this salvation. And he says to the Philippian church, he exhorts them to continue 
to obey. Not obey Paul, obey the gospel, obey the truth of the gospel of Christ, obey the word of God, the truth of God, the faith which had been handed down unto them. And so Paul says, not in my presence only, but now much more so in my absence. So again, Paul, if you he, if he will, he actually um, speaks commendation to them in the sense of that they were doing uh, they were obeying the gospel. They continued in the gospel. Whether or not Paul was there was irrelevant. It wasn't about them impressing Paul or influencing others. It was about them being obedient unto the Lord. And so there's an expectation to this salvation. And, and you know, we, we live in a time, it's, it's interesting really, we live in a time in which it seems to be that because of a lack of understanding of the truth of God's word and a lack of the understanding of the gospel itself and its purity, as Paul dealt with in chapter 1 of this epistle, What's happened is people profess and claim a salvation and then those to whom it is professed expect nothing within the life of those who make such profession. But hear me, as Paul says in Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. There is an expectation to this salvation, not meaning that we are to expect people to start acting a certain way, we expect to see the light of Christ within them, the life of Christ within those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. There is an expectation here, and that is demonstrated through obedience. Remember, Jesus himself, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 here in the Carmen Christi, the hymn to Christ, praise to Christ, Paul explains clearly that Christ humbled himself even to the point of death, submitting himself to the Father, to the purpose and will of the Father, and in doing so, he, he has been exalted now. The glorified person, body of Jesus Christ, is now exalted above all, above all names, above all powers that be, and that he is Lord supreme in the glorified flesh, this Jesus. And so Christ gave us that example of, of suffering, but of submission to the Father and humility. And so if we possess the same life in us, the life of Christ, then why would we not expect for that life to be demonstrated and be manifested from our very lives and our existence? Second, we looked at the responsibility of this salvation. Verse 12, Paul goes on to say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he's saying that we are to understand the gravity and the weight of the responsibility of this redemptive work which God has performed, and therefore in submission to the Lord, work out. And, and I know I've said this so many times to you, but I just have to, again, it's not work at, not work for, not work toward, not work on this salvation. We are working out. And if you're working something out, that would obviously imply, or the implication would be, that there's something within that is being worked out. And so we understand that, that this, this responsibility of this salvation is that we are to recognize this salvific work which has been accomplished by God in the person of Christ. With, we are to recognize the, the responsibility to be that of seriousness and of, of weight and of gravity. In fact, our entire purpose of life is that God might be exalted or Christ might be exalted and the Father might be glorified through our living. And so we are to recognize this. Then we saw, third, the confidence of this salvation. Verse 13, the beginning of the verse for it is God which worketh in you. And I said to you when we studied this some weeks back that I believe this to be one of the greatest comforts within the life of a child of God. It is God which is working in you. God is not demanding us to do something that he has not already done within us. He is 
purpose that we live out this which he has worked in, work out that which he has worked in, Christ living in us, then the purpose of this salvation, verse 13, Paul goes on to explain, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not only do because we are commanded to do, but we recognize it is God which has worked within us first the desire to follow after righteousness, the desire to submit to the Word of God, to the truth of God, to God our Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the desire to have a life that is pleasing and honoring unto Him. But then not only does God put the desire within us, He also equips us, enables us to live that desire out as we rest and trust in the sufficiency of Christ who lives within us. And so it's both to will and to do. Last week we progressed in the study as we considered Paul's continued exhortation and explanation of the salvation when it is worked out in one's life. So we saw first that there's this exhortation that is given, that we are to work out this salvation with fear and trembling. Then there's the, uh, the provision of God for us to work out this, this exhortation, which is, it is God which works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then we see the explanation, if you will, of what this looks like. And he says here that we are to have the spirit of biblical obedience. He says in verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Biblical obedience, as I mentioned last week, is not merely what it, doing what is commanded, but it is to do that which God has commanded in a spirit of humility and submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, biblical obedience is not feeling the pressure to do something because we are fearful of the consequence if we do not. But biblical, obe- biblical obedience is submission, humility before God, submission to the Lord, and it, it is, includes a desire. It is God which worketh in you both to will, the desire, and to do. So it's not just God enables us to obey him. God puts the desire within us to obey him. This is biblical obedience. It's not just doing the Pharisees did what they were supposed to do, but they had no heart that was, or their heart was indifferent towards the Lord, as we even saw last week. And so this is much more than merely just doing something because you're told to do it. But it's understanding that God has given us this desire, it comes from him, and obeying him will, will, will come forth from a spirit of desire to obey him, a desire to submit, a desire for righteousness, a desire for holiness. The spirit in which one acts is as important, if not more important, than the action itself. And we saw many examples of this on last week. I'll just make reference to them. You can look them up if you'd like. Malachi 1.10. Matthew 23, 27 through 28, and Matthew 15, 7 through 8. And those are just a few of many examples of this truth. As the scriptures also declare, the Lord is not interested in the outward appearance, but the heart. Isaiah 57, 15, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, we see these truths. Then we saw as well last week, number two, the result of biblical obedience in verses 14 and 15. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. When we read verse 15, we understand by the colon used at the end of verse 14 that Paul is saying, do all things without murmurings and disputings so that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So God will eternally display his glory through those he has redeemed, when he perfects this work of salvation in us. However, until that day, until that 
completion of this redemptive work in its fullness when all those who are redeemed are in eternity before the very throne of God. Until that day, God has chosen to display his grace in us in time by commanding us to shine um, as his light amid this spiritually darkened world in which we live. So as we continue our study through this portion of the text this morning concerning this salvation and what it appears or how it appears when it is worked out, these verses, verses 14 through 18, which we began to examine last week and we just reviewed briefly, make up the third section of the second chapter of this epistle. Now, I say that for this reason, because 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 are all connected. It's all one continuous statement and thought that Paul is making. Now, it's important, as I've said to you many times, that we understand that while chapter and verse divisions are helpful to us, especially when pertaining to memorization and referencing certain portions of Scripture, this epistle was not written in such a manner. However, Paul did write this epistle in sentences and paragraphs. And this portion, as I mentioned, verses 14 through 18, we looked at 14 and 15 last week and examined those verses, but this entire portion, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, are the third of the four divisions within chapter 2. And so I do not want to totally disconnect them because we must not do that because that's not how it was provided unto us. That's not how it was written to us or to the Philippians. Within the first two verses of this third division of the chapter, verses 14 and 15, we see Paul's general exhortation to the church. While in these last three verses of this third division of the chapter, verses 16, 17, and 18, we discover Paul's discussion becomes much more personal. And so these are not divided, that he's stating the same truths, but notice how he speaks to them in verses uh, 14 and 15 again. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. But then notice how verses 16, 17, and 18 become uh, very, very personal. Paul then begins to say that I may rejoice in the day, that I have not run in vain. If I be offered upon the sacrifice of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you. And then he says, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So while the first part is obviously a general statement, which is true to the church at Philippi and us as well, yet the second part of this third division in verses 15 through, or 16 through 18, we see that it is very personal. And Paul explains that it's a very personal matter to him. And so within these verses, verses 16 through 18, we see Paul addresses this matter, the joy of biblical obedience. Now, he's already explained, we saw last week, the spirit of biblical obedience without disputings and murmurings that is to be done in humility under the Lord. The result of this biblical obedience, that we are blameless and without rebuke, we are the sons of God. And again, in this portion, we saw this last week, we are told in Scripture that God will present us faultless and blameless. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He is exhorting these believers to live out that truth. Again, God has already positioned us. Now we are to live out practically that position which we possess in Jesus Christ. So we are blameless. We are faultless before the throne of God. No one can throw an accusation and stick on us because we are 
Our lives are hid with, uh, in God with Christ. And so our identity is in Jesus, not in ourselves, but we still sin. And we are still guilty nonetheless. However, we are now commanded to work out that which God has worked in. He has made us holy. He has made us righteous. He will present us blameless, faultless, perfect before him in eternity. But until that time in which his glory is flawlessly revealed in his church, we are to practically be revealing his grace and his glory. And I say grace and glory for this reason. Grace will be demonstrated throughout all of eternity in reality because it's only of his goodness and kindness that we will be with him. But in this life, we are demonstrating both his grace and his glory in this respect, that God has purposed to demonstrate and manifest his glory in and through us as his church, yet we still sin. But guess what? The grace of God restores us again in fellowship that his glory might continue to be revealed in and through our lives. And so we are called to this. And we see now there's a joy in relation to this. Notice what Paul says, verses 16 through 18. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, yea. And if I be offered up upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Within these three verses, Paul mentions rejoicing three times and joy twice. This, of course, is significant to the matter of which Paul is writing within these verses. The question which we must answer is in relation to the reason for this joy and rejoicing of which Paul has written. Paul begins his explanation of the joy associated with biblical obedience by continuing his thought from the previous verse. I told you, verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 are all one continued thought here that Paul is is writing. So let's now connect it and see what he is saying. Verses 15 and 16, the latter part of verse 15. Ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. We really must see the connection between these two statements. Paul explains in the first statement he makes in verse 16, the only way one can shine as God's light in the spiritually darkened world is by holding forth the word of life. Now this is important because remember the context of all of what Paul is saying. In verses 12 and 13, he explains again, work out that which God has worked in, for it is God which worketh in you. Now we are commanded, that, or we are, it is explained that we shine forth being blameless, harmless, the sons of God, shining forth as lights in this world, holding forth the word of life. It is the word of life that is the light of the world. If we are to shine as lights in this world, then it can only be by a life that is faithfully committed to the truth of God's word. It is the truth of God, which illuminates the darkness of the world. You hear people often speak and make statements such as this, how that, you know, unrelated to Christianity, unrelated to biblical truth, they'll say, oh, we just, you just need to shine in, a, in the world. Listen, if, if, if you're not holding forth the word of life, There is no light within you to shine. It is the gospel that is the light. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the light, as Scripture makes it so clear. Jesus is the light of the world. John 1, 4 and 5, in him, John writes, was life, and the life was the light of men. And who was life? And Jesus was life, and his life is the light of men. 
and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This is in relation to John chapter 3. If you recall, in the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus in the earliest ver- earlier verses, and then you come down to verse 16, you all know that, verse 17, 18, 19, and so on. And in the, that passage, the, uh, the Scriptures tell us that, that God sent not His Son, verse 17, chapter 3, God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And this is the condemnation uh, that, that we understand that men have rejected Christ and they loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Men do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the condemnation. They reject the light. They embrace darkness because their deeds are evil. The darkness comprehended it not, John said. John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is an interesting statement because Jesus here says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And yet here, understand what, what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi. Shine as lights. Well, it is Christ who is the light But remember, Jesus is no longer physically with us. But He does dwell within us by His Spirit. And now we are to shine forth His light. Because He is the light within us. He is the light of the world. He has called us to shine as lights as He lives in and through our lives. Verses 15 and 16 again together, the latter part of verse 15. Ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Now, Paul continues to explain here in verse 16 that there is a shared joy in faithful obedience to the word of life. Notice what he says in verse 16, holding forth the word of life, and then here's the statement, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now, Paul directly links his personal rejoicing in the day of Christ to the faithfulness of the Philippian believers to continue to hold forth or hold fast the word of life. Now, do you think this means, for one second, would we really believe that Paul is saying, look, if, if you're not faithful, then I'm going to stand before God and I'll, I'll just lose everything, there'll be no reward anymore, and I, I, just, I have nothing to joy in other than your obedience. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Listen, Paul would stand before the Lord with great joy if not one person ever responded to the gospel which he preached. Paul would still have joy within him because of Christ within him. So what is Paul saying then? Is he saying, oh, my entire joy hinges on your obedience because if you're not obedient obedient to the word of life, then I possess no joy whatsoever. Of course not. That's not what he is saying. But there is a statement being made here of tremendous significance, which I believe we must understand as Paul has made this statement. Paul had previously alluded to the connection between the obedience of the Philippian church to the truth and fullness of his joy. In Philippians 2.2, Paul wrote, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He said, fulfill ye my joy. Now, the underlying premise of this correlation between the obedience of the Philippian believers and Paul's joy is a significant truth of Christianity as a whole. In other words, while rejoiced in the Lord. He rejoiced in his own salvation. He rejoiced in God's call in his life. 
There is a reason as to why he also connects the fullness of his joy to the obedience of the Philippian believers. And the significance of Paul's statement concerning his joy and the obedience of others is this. Here's the underlying significant premise upon that which Paul has stated. There are no Christian mavericks or spiritual loners. In other words, we are not left alone in the faith. God has made us a part of His family, and we share in this faith, and therefore we share in this life as followers of Jesus Christ. It is for this very reason that Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Do you see what Paul says? For your fellowship in the gospel. Paul was confident of the work of God in the Philippian believers and rejoiced in the truth of God's purpose in using him and his ministry of the gospel as a means by which these Philippian believers were brought to faith and matured in the faith. He says in verse 16 again, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul did not want his labor in the gospel to be empty in relation to the Philippians. Now, we know in Scripture we are clearly taught that we are to serve the Lord, not men. And we are to serve men as unto the Lord. In other words, when we are serving others, it's to be out of a spirit of humility and and honor and glorifying God through even that service. All things are to be done unto the Lord, not unto men. And so, obviously, again, Paul's labor would not be wasted labor. If he truly was serving the Lord, the outcome is up to God anyway. But here Paul is yearning. For these Philippian believers to continue in the same joy, in the same fellowship of the gospel, that he might take joy with them in this fellowship, and that they might joy with him in this fellowship. So again, the underlying premise here, what Paul is saying, is not, well, if you don't obey, then I'm going to stand before God and I won't be faithful as a steward. No, Paul was going to be faithful regardless of whether or not they obeyed. But he desired for them to obey. He desired for them to reap the benefits of what it was to walk in the truth, in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted them to experience the fullness of the joy and he wanted to experience that joy with them and because of them, because of the work God was doing in them, that is to say. So it's not that Paul would lack reward, but his desire was that the Philippians not waste this grace of the gospel as he administered to them. Understand what Paul understood. It was a provision of grace that Paul had been sent to minister to the Philippians. And he did not want them to waste such grace. Do not take for granted the grace that God has ministered to you. Do you understand that when you hear the truth of the Word of God, this is the great grace of God by which you hear such truth? Do not waste this grace. 
Do not waste this goodness of God. The writer of Hebrews wrote concerning the relationship of the joy of those who labor in the truth and the obedience of those to whom they minister. In Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. That are so that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Notice what the writer says, obey them that have the rule over you. Now, we have to understand something here again. The statement, obey them that have the rule over you, is not saying that there is hierarchy within the church. It is saying, I've said this to you many times, just to clarify, I have absolutely no authority over you apart from Scripture itself. Now, when I say that, what I mean is not how it may sound. I am not saying the Scriptures give me authority. No, the Scriptures are the authority. And apart from the Word of God, I have no authority. But if I am declaring the truth of the Word of God to you, you must acknowledge that is authority. And the authority of the Word of God is that by which we rule, is that by which we teach, that by which we correct, that by which we instruct. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Obey them that have the rule over you, biblical authority, and obey that truth as they watch for your souls. Now notice, if someone is not teaching Scripture, it is not the souls of the people they are watching over. They are watching over their own well-being and through manipulation and so on, trying to manipulate people to do this or do that or give this or give that or whatever else it may be. But here, the writer is saying, obey them that have the rule over you. This is the scriptural authority because these are those who minister the word are those who are watching over your souls and then they may do it with joy, that they may watch over your souls with joy. Notice what he's saying. He's saying when you are biblically obedient, when you have the desire to walk in righteousness and truth and one is teaching you righteousness and truth, then watching over the souls is a joyous thing. It is a joyful experience because you see others fellowshipping in the gospel of truth, of light. But, he says, not with grief. And the grief would come because those who are being ministered to are not biblically in obedience. And then the statement is such, for that is unprofitable for you. Not for them. Now, remember what Paul said in his Philippian epistle. He says, oh, that I have not labored or run in vain, remember? But listen, if the, if the Philippian believers did not obey, it wasn't unprofitable to Paul. It was unprofitable to them. But it would have caused him grief rather than joy in the ministry of the gospel. John also wrote, as you are aware, we've recently studied through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in our Wednesday evening studies. John wrote concerning the correlation of his joy and the obedience of other believers to whom he ministered. 1 John 1, 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things wrought we unto you that your joy may be full. John says, oh, our joy is full, but we're writing this to you so you can have the fullness of joy in this fellowship. In 2 John verse 4, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. 
3 John verses 3 and 4, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So there is a shared joy concerning walking in biblical obedience. But then, B, there is a shared joy in the sacrifice and service of biblical obedience. Look at verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. But notice what he then says in verse 18. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Do you see what Paul just said? There is a shared joy in the service and sacrifice of biblical obedience, of the faith. Paul knew what it was to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Paul was willing to sacrifice himself for the gospel's sake so that others might prosper in the faith. Paul not only claimed his willingness to sacrifice himself throughout his ministry, but also demonstrated his willingness consistently throughout his ministry of the gospel. Paul was no stranger to living sacrificially for the sake of the gospel and to those God had called him to minister the gospel unto. Paul told the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now the context here, of course, is that the Corinthian church was not meeting the physical needs of the apostle as he spiritually ministered to them. And he says, oh, I, I, will, I will gladly spend, but when he says, and be spent... That is not just referring to him physically, monetarily spending, but now he's saying, I am willing to not only give of what I have, but I am willing to give of myself, even though the more I love you, the less love is reciprocated unto me in return. Philippians 1, 18 through 21 and verses 25 through 26. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers, our prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by death, life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 25. And having this confidence... I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. There is a shared joy in the service and sacrifice of the gospel ministry. There is joy in identifying in the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is comfort in knowing that we are not alone in this call to the Lord's sufferings, but that we all share in His sufferings and therefore will share in His glory. Again, Paul is not saying, oh, if you don't obey, then I stand before God just empty-handed. Regardless of my submission or my humility or my obedience or my desire to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, all my joy and all my reward hinges on your obedience. Of course not. But he is expressing that there is a shared joy in biblical obedience. And there is a shared joy in the sacrifice and suffering of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that we are not alone. This is what Paul is saying. I am not alone in this work of the gospel. 
You are not alone in this work of the gospel. Now, here's where this becomes very important. Hence, your submission to the Lord Jesus Christ or your lack of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ affects more than just you. It affects the whole of the body. See what Paul's saying? I, I will... I will have grief rather than joy if you do not humbly submit in a biblical obedience. But I will have joy rather than grief when you humbly submit in biblical obedience. John says that. The Hebrew writer says that. Paul says that in so many words here in Philippians. So it's important that we recognize, again, that we are not alone. And that is important. Now, we know we're not alone as far as Christ is with us, but remember, again, I, I want to clarify this. I believe this is important, and I think we, we get this mixed up many times, or we just don't know, we, we don't exactly know how to articulate this, and so we, we make statements that are actually not biblically correct, and, and it causes a dilemma in, in further attempt to articulate truth. And often you've heard people say, again, that, oh, I need you. I need my brothers in Christ. I need my sisters in Christ. But then you have this problem where you have to then stop and say, wait a minute, we preach the absolute sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So if Christ is really all we need, then how can we also tag on the rear end of that, the tail end of that? Well, I need Jesus, he's all I need, but, but I need you too. So that creates somewhat of an issue or a problem. But it really doesn't. Because when we understand edification, ecclesiology, body theology, as Scripture declares it, then we begin to understand that it's not that we need each other, it's that we need Christ living in each other and the benefits of that. It's still Christ that I need. In other words, let me say it to you like this, and I know this may hurt your ego just a little bit, but I don't need you. I don't. But what I desperately need is Christ ministering through you as he has gifted you to minister. So it's not we need one another, it's we need each other. Now, here's the difference. Please understand, this is where the rubber meets the road in what I'm saying. If you're not in obedience to Christ, if you're, no matter what you may say or demonstrate, if you are not in submission to Christ and walking humbly with God, do I need you? No, I need you to be in submission to Christ and in hum- walking in humility before God that he will minister through you to me. Hence, we need each other to be obedient. And that's what Paul is saying here. I, you must be obedient. And I would dare say Paul in one sense is saying, I need for you to obey the gospel. So might I say this to you? It's not that I need you and it's not that you need me. But I need for you to be in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need for me to be in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that is how the light is shown forth. How are we shining as lights in this perverse and darkened world? By holding forth the word of life. As Paul says in verse 16. 
So as I hold forth the word of life, as I hold true the scriptures, as I walk in humility and submission to the Lord and his truth, then the light of Christ is shining forth not only to a darkened world, but also to the people of God. And therefore, we are ministering one to another by submission to the Lord Jesus. And that is what we need. We need each other in the respect that we need each other to live in submission to Christ and His truth. For it is Christ that we need. Notice Paul did not ask for those who were not submitted to the Lord to come visit Him in prison, did he? Did he? He said, oh, just send someone, anyone to come see me. Oh, please, just send those who've walked away from the faith to come and see me so I can have some felt. No. He desired those who were faithful in the gospel to visit him. You know why? Because it's not he needed that particular person, but he needed Christ to minister through that person to him. That's what he desired. That's what he sought for, sought after, and longed for. So we're not alone. And I say that again. You say, well, you just said, Connor, we don't need each other. No, I'm saying we need each other to be in obedience to the Lord so that there is true, genuine ministry that is taking place and real comfort and real instruction and genuine biblical fellowship that is taking place. So here's what that does. That helps us to understand the weight and gravity of what it means to work out the salvation with fear and trembling, realizing and and acknowledging and, and resting in the sufficiency of he who is working in us, both to desire and do of his good pleasure, that we therefore do so without grumbling, without murmuring, without, without spite, but humbly before God and before men, as we shine as lights in this perverse world, world holding forth the word of life, And in doing so, Paul says, I will greatly rejoice. But not only will I rejoice, you will rejoice in me because this is a shared joy in this obedience to Christ. And I said, we share not only in the gospel, but we share in his sufferings and we also share in his glory. Romans eight sixteen through 18 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 1 Peter 4.13, Peter writes, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. For if we suffer with him, we also will reign and have glory with him. When biblical obedience, or while biblical obedience requires a life of self-sacrifice and service, there is shared joy in biblical obedience. There are none of us who live our lives unto ourselves, and I'm not implying that by any means. We live our lives unto the Lord and live our lives with one another as part of the church of the Lord Jesus. There is not only great joy for us as we live in obedience to the Lord, but there is great joy as we minister to others who also walk in truth. And Paul is saying, oh, as I minister to you, there is joy. But the fullness of that joy is realized as you respond in submission to the truth which I minister to you. And then he says, oh, and by the way, as I serve and sacrifice 
as I lay my life down for the cause of Christ and the gospel, not only do I receive joy in this, but you also will join this as you share in the same. It is a joy to know the Lord. It is a joy to walk in submission to His Word. It is a joy to live in obedience to His Spirit who guides us in all truth. It is a joy to proclaim the truth of Christ, to fellowship in the gospel with others who also walk in the same truth. And genuine biblical joy is experienced when genuine biblical ministry is taking place. Not manufactured ministry, not something we produce, but as we are working out that which God is working in, then we minister one to another and we begin to understand, again, the total need we have for Christ. And because He is not physically present with us, we have His Spirit within us, but yet we, as Paul says clearly in his epistles, that we, though we possess the fullness of His Spirit, we do not, we do not possess the fullness of the gifts. They are divided severally as He will. And the way in which God manifests His Spirit in and through our lives in, in the gifts He has given is different one to another, one of another. And in that reality being true, we are to minister one to another and we long for that. Listen, I, I desire, just to clarify everything in case you've misunderstood, and I have attempted to, to articulate this in a manner in which you would not misunderstand what I have said concerning the need for one another. I desire and long to gather with you. I rejoice in gathering with you. I re- but let me tell you what I really rejoice in. I rejoice whenever I am in conversation with others who are walking in truth, who are realizing truth, who are experiencing the joy of walking with Christ in truth. This is the joy of our fellowship. And God ministers to me through that. So while I, as, as your pastor, am ministering to you through in the Word and laboring in the Word, as you obey and walk in the truth of Scripture, I then rejoice and share in this joy, and you also share in that joy. So again, we're not alone. But God has put us together by His grace and for His glory. And there is no greater joy for you when you walk in truth, and there's no greater joy for me than to see those to whom I've been called to minister, walk in truth. Biblical obedience, there's a shared joy. There's a shared joy in this service and sacrifice of, the, of biblical obedience or of the gospel. And it's something that, again, I'm afraid has been, has been because, because men say, I, I don't want to obey and submit, then there's an attempt to, to manufacture some substitute, a, a, a counterfeit, of what only biblical obedience Christ can produce. So let us work out that which God has worked in in humble submission to Christ and His Word, His truth, and His Spirit. That the body be edified, that Christ be exalted, that the world be evangelized, Let our Heavenly Father be glorified. Let's stand together in prayer. Father.